Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday. It is time for the Power Hour. It's Tuesday, April 26th. Uh, we are doing a restart. We had a little bit of a snafu there. I realized uh, one of my weaker internet connections kept grabbing the signal for some reason, so I unplugged it. Shouldn't have that problem. I think I've got really good signals today. I was, uh, I was really expecting we would have a great day technology-wise. Um, so we are here. We are live. It is the Power Hour. Uh, I should be joined here shortly by Bruce and Pete and Ethan. Let me check and see. And we will be taking all of your maintenance-related calls. If you have a question, a comment, a topic about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. 855-950-3835. We're going to get to those calls in just a couple minutes. Uh, and... I've, you know, I had a whole bunch of things today, but I don't want to take a lot of time because I want to hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power, see what they have on their mind, and uh, then get to as many calls and questions as I can. I'll just kind of try to sum up um, what I was going to talk about as an open. I, I read a lot of industry news, and it really wasn't good this morning. I'm almost everything I read that um, that could affect trucking or will affect trucking was negative. Fuel prices are up again pretty significantly overnight. Um, I think we're at 516 a gallon now nationwide average and fuel futures, uh, diesel specifically, diesel futures are... Um, going up they, they, it's the news is a little mixed it's hard to really interpret but uh, there are some futures contracts that expire this Friday and I think a lot of the investors didn't expect prices to be this high they're having uh, they're having a lot of um, trouble finding fuel at a reasonable price to fill their contracts. So that might be why we're seeing the rise in price right now. That might settle down. The news is, is mixed. The other news that will affect rates should eventually bring fuel prices down. But in the short term, I think we're going to stay, see the fuel prices stay elevated and the rates are, um, are going to be coming down. They have been. It doesn't look like that's going to stop anytime soon. Um, the, the stock prices on a lot of shipping companies, now we're talking specifically about real ships, uh, not necessarily trucking company stocks yet. But the stock prices on shipping companies is kind of getting hammered in the futures market as well. And a lot of this actually, believe it or not, has to do with um, partially the war. That's kind of the big news everybody's still talking about. 
more so though COVID again. Um, if you've been watching what's going on in China, Shanghai has been locked down. And when they do lockdowns, they, they're serious about their lockdowns. And now they're worried about Beijing being locked down. So we are going to have more supply chain issues. The, um, the ships aren't going to be coming out of China. We're getting backlogs again. The supply chain shortages don't seem to be improving anytime soon. Um, all right. Like I said, I had a lot of things I was going to talk about, but because it's the power hour and we've got a lot of people to get in and calls are already starting to come in, we're going to get to the calls. Before we do that, it's time to bring in the team from Pittsburgh Power. Bruce, it looks like you're first up today. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure, and we have lots of things to talk about. Oh, good. Well, it was uh, it was good to see you guys and spend all the time there, and I got to meet a lot of new people at Pittsburgh Power, and uh, it was uh, it was really fortunate for me that I was able to spend time there at your shop and get the coach in, and we got a lot of work done on it, and it's uh, running beautifully. That's good. It's uh, something about a great running diesel engine and how it can make you feel. Yeah. Yeah, it, it sure is. It's smooth. It's quiet. It's got great throttle response. Uh, I got all the suspension stuff handled, so it's riding better. I mean, overall, it's like a whole different coach from what I left Oregon in. That's right. That's right. Okay. I want to mention that we have... Um, some C16 cats available, industrial engines. And there's two, possibly three of them. They're very low hours. I think the price is 25000 each. And they'll need to be converted to being on a highway engine. And it'll need engine mounts. It'll need an air compressor put on it. It will need programs to go from industrial. I think they're on pumps. But it's a pretty economical way to get into a C-16. So if anyone has any interest, please call me. And and uh, I don't have the engines. A friend of mine does. And we'd have to find more. Um, so please, no tire kickers. If you're really serious about it, own the one BC-16, then call me. Another thing, we've had two guys recently burn up turbos on 60 Series Detroits, and they have no boost gauge and no pyrometer. And when you burn the turbine housing and you take the thrust washer out of it, guess what, whether it's air research or board warning, they deny the warranty. You need to have exhaust gas temperature gauge that works and a boost gauge and know what they mean. And by all means, start putting thermocouples in exhaust manifolds to get a true reading, 1300, 12, 1300 is your cutoff point. But you can save your turbos. Bruce, having... Then I had... Let me me jump in there because you and I have talked about this for years. I agree with you on both of these gauges. But I'm to the point now, uh, on my coach specifically, that uh, I, I've got electronic gauges. There's a built-in system here that monitors all kinds of stuff, electricity in the house and all the engine stuff. And, uh, you know, it's okay. But I, I really now believe that as much as I drive this thing and as good as it's running, 
I'm going to take the time to put in both of those gauges mechanical. And when I say take the time, on a truck, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's not that big of a deal at all. On the coach, it's quite a bit more complicated because I have to run 45 feet of connection from the engine up to the dash to get true mechanical gauges. But I really think it's worth it. So uh, sometime this summer, I'm just going to tackle that. Maybe sometime soon. I'm going to tackle that because I'd really like to have good, accurate mechanical gauges up there for those two readings. That's exactly correct. And uh, and I can tell you the higher end motorhomes are harder to find holes to run wires through. So you have a high end motorhome. So you may have to make some holes, try to find the main channel, uh, get one of those tapes, not a, not a, measuring tape one of the metal tapes that you can push through and you can attach the wires and pull it back what's that called uh not a snake yeah i was thinking a snake but i know that's not it yeah i i know what you're talking about though that's probably what it's going to take and and it's going to be a fairly big job i mean putting even um well not so much now that i'm getting so good at taking the damn bedroom apart um You know, I got to take the bedroom apart to get places to put the the fittings in. But then the tough part is is finding a good way to route all of that up to the front. Mm -hmm. And my last thing is, uh, Bella called me today from northeastern part of Florida. He runs 11 trucks, 2013s through the 16s, all internationals with the Max Force engine. 10 speeds for 336 rears, low pro 22.5. They run between 65 and 70. The fleet average is five and a half mile per gallon. And he wants help. As soon as I start talking about boost gauges, well, I'm, our drivers won't read them. I said, well, let's do a seminar. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to come down there, but you need to get them all together. But we got to teach them. To be instead of being steering wheel holders, to leave the cruise control off and learn how to drive a truck. So, did you happen? He, to, I gave him a lot of things to think about. You know, when I hear somebody make a comment like that, our drivers won't do this, our drivers won't do that. I also usually get the feeling their trucks are probably not restricted at all because they're afraid of you know not being able to get drivers or losing drivers or whatever. And in today's environment with fuel over $5 a gallon and rates starting to tank, people have really got to start thinking about slowing down their trucks. And with rate with, with mm-hmm. freight slowing down, it will be a little easier to get drivers as we go forward. So one of the things I've noticed over the years is in trucking, we tend to be really, really slow to react to what's happening. A good example, um, I've been out running around on the roads a little bit, test driving this thing, and I wanted to get it out on some, you know, interstates and really see what it would do, and I typically run at 60. I was cruising at 70, and it's beautifully smooth and quiet, and I'm being passed by trucks at 70 miles an hour. So they're doing at least 75, and I, I just can't imagine why anybody would be running that hard today. Well, I, 
I catch them, you know, even on the Pennsylvania Turnpike at 80. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I run side by side. I, I'm at 80 in my Audi, and they're at 80. And I say, oh, that's cool. They're not in my way. Yeah. The, I, I, I kind of like the fact the way trucks run today because they're not in your way. You know, you come onto a highway, you see a truck up ahead. Years ago, you thought, well, I'm going to have to pass in. Today, sometimes that's all you see is the back, and then he disappears because he's gone. And, and, I, <laughs> and I understand why, the la- and I've even said it, the last couple of years, fuel prices had been low, rates had been strong. Get out there and run hard. But that's what I mean about them not mm-hmm. reacting to a very changing environment. They are still, in fact, they'll get locked into that mindset as their profit starts going down, which is already happening. Their reaction will be to run even harder and their profit will go down even more. So, you know, at five and a Mm -hmm. half miles to the gallon, if they are running 75, at 65, they'd get six and a half miles to the gallon with no changes. And that's $10,000 per truck. Right. And and come on, at, at 65, you can get everywhere in time. Really. I mean, it, it, you don't have to run 75 to make it there on time. And if you do, you better be getting paid an awful lot for that freight. Well, the trick is, especially when you're leaving from home, leave an hour early and just ease on down the highway. And, and don't be goofing around. You know, keep the left door closed. When you're out there, run hard. Well, mm-hmm. When I say run hard, I mean put in the time. Not fast. Put in the time. Then when you're tired, go home. Go home. Enjoy your time off. When you get back out on the road, don't worry about getting home a couple hours earlier because you ran hard all week to do it. And the other thing that happens when you're out there running freight, you can run as hard as you want. But if you get somewhere and you can't get unloaded, what was the point? Then you're probably going to sit there and idle waiting and waste more fuel. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's okay. just time to, to get right. that message back out there. So is that all you've got today? Yeah, back to these C16 cats. They are low hours, and uh, again, I can get pictures of them, so we can try to figure out what we will need to convert them to be on highway truck. Got it. So, well, all right, all right. Let's uh, all right. Let's bring in Pete. You're up next on the board. Welcome back. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. It seems like I just saw you a couple days ago. It was. And we missed you today. Ethan and I were in Bruce's office waiting for you to come in to, to run the show, and you didn't show up. What <laughs> nobody, the hell going on here? <laughs> nobody, noticed, nobody noticed I wasn't out back, huh? <laughs> no, we figured you just keeping yourself. You got, got so used to me living out back there. Well, did you hear what happened on Saturday? That Bruce told me, yeah. Yeah, that was kind Bruce of funny. I, I, oh, well, that, yeah. but the other thing um, on Saturday morning, the boot came off on Sunday. So I got up early Saturday morning and pulled back into the bay and finished putting everything back together and buttoning it all up. And I went to go test drive it and I opened the garage and they were resealing the blacktop. <laughs> Oh, I, you know, when I made that appointment. I never thought about, uh, so what did you end up doing? Well, you know, I went out and I talked to the guy and I said, how long before I can drive on this? And he said, 24 hours. And I said, oh, well, all right. I said, any way I could do it any sooner? And he said, yeah, you, you're going to risk marking it up. He said, if you waited six or eight, 
might not be bad and drive straight out. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take it easy the rest of the day, um, check everything out. And then I got up early Sunday and left, so it was no big deal. Oh, good. Yeah. Yep. Just kind of funny. Good. good. Kind of funny. Yeah, I never <laughs> even thought about uh, you being here when they called to make that appointment. And I need to do it over the weekend. Um, For that reason. You know, so it can, right. can yeah. draw, yes, for that yeah, reason. Exactly. Well, it looks good. Good, good. Hey, on those boots, you know, sometimes they're tricky to get on. What I always used was Murphy's oil soap because it's kind of slimy and lubricates sliding in, but then it dries up. Oh, okay. And, and then it's kind of tacky, and that way it's not like a grease where it will slide back off again. Yeah, that was the problem with the boot that came off. I had put quite a bit of lubri plate on it because I just couldn't fight it in in the spot it was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we found it another, uh, when I was talking with Bruce and we were just going over it, we found another problem. So that this is the boot coming right out of the charger cooler itself. The pipe that it attaches to makes almost a 90-degree bend after only a, less than a foot. So you got to figure that all that boost coming out of there is hitting that bend pretty hard. And there was there's no bracket or support on that pipe. It goes another couple feet to the intake, and just the only thing that's holding it up is the other boot. So... It, and it would move quite a bit. So you figure all that force coming out of the charger cooler hitting that 90, and it could flex away from that, and that's what it was doing. So mm-hmm. I supported the clamp, and uh, I'm going to build a new bracket for that pipe. But uh, the other thing, uh, once I got the uh, grease cleaned off it a little bit, I actually sprayed it really heavy with brake clean and then slid the boot on while it was wet. And I figured that probably did the same kind of thing. That'll dry dry really tacky. tacky Yeah. 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 We used to use Murphy's oil soap when we put tires on. Oh, okay. When I was in high school and worked at a gas station, we had a big one-gallon tub of the the stuff that you would dilute that with water. It was like good pasty stuff. But you would use it on a um, wand. And then you – and this is back – a lot of tires were still biased probably back then. Yeah. Um, And you would do the bead – and it would uh, the tool would spin real easy on it and pop up okay. Got it. But, uh, okay. Yeah, I use Murphy's oil soap for stuff like that. It seems to work well. Good. And it's called fish tape is what you need that's to buy to run the um, gauges. And that's what we used to. And we probably have one here someplace when we did a lot of the motorhomes and help make the job a little bit easier, even though it's going to be a tough job no matter what. Yeah, I'll tell you one of the, I know it sounds crazy, but just cleaning out and getting all everything out of the storage underneath is a job. You know, on a trip like this, I, I pack those things as full as I can, especially since I don't pull a trailer anymore, um, with tools and supplies and outdoor stuff and all kinds of things. And uh, I've got it pretty well packed. So just getting that emptied out is a job. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I saw your article on the freight prices, and I had read, matter of fact, last night, um, I think it was Bank of America, basically the same thing, you know, 
freight rates are going down, less freight, um, the percentage of freight being turned down um, dropped quite a bit. There was twenty, like 26% of people were getting a load and saying, nope, I'm not going to take it. It doesn't pay enough. I can go elsewhere. That's down to 9%. That's a you, big difference. You know, one of the numbers, and it's hard to understand sometimes, it's called the tender rejection rate. And the first couple times I heard it and read about it, I wasn't really getting it. Then once you have it explained, it's fairly simple. Um, you know, we talk about contract rates and spot market rates. And contract rates, for some reason in trucking, those are not binding contracts. Even though they sign the contract, this trucking company is going to move this load every Tuesday for the next year. Here's the price plus fuel surcharge. Either party can cancel, and it's really common that they do. It's not like any big deal. So what happens is what's happening, what had been happening was those contract rates were actually lower than the spot market rates. The spot market had gotten so hot over the last year that carriers with contracts were not fulfilling the contract very often. They were turning that down and just putting their trucks on the spot market instead. And that's what's changing now. Now they're, they're accepting those contract rates and moving the freight under contract because now their contract rates are actually higher than the spot market in most cases. I also read where a lot of the big companies that would be more like the, the um, companies shipping a lot of stuff are now signing shorter term contracts because the rates are changing so yes. fast. Yep. Yeah. Carriers would love to lock in some long term contracts right now. Uh, and shippers are saying, oh, no way. Now we see the writing on the wall, the rates are going down, you know, we need to cover this freight, but we're going to sign for three months or six months. We're not signing year contracts right now. So it, it's all indicating these guys that are driving really need to really watch their dollar, you know, yep. spend money where it makes sense and do the maintenance. Like we talk about, you know, get the gauges in there they help the fuel mileage slow down. Um, you're, these guys are really going to have to be more of a businessman than a truck driver at this point when the economy gets this way. Yeah. You know, I've been saying this for a long time and one of the biggest, and you know, we could call it a problem, but for the people that listen to this show, it's not really a problem. It's more of an opportunity. They understand all of that. They hear it all the time. They, they've been doing it. But one of the problems I think we're going to see this time, if you look at the last two recessions we had, 2000, 2001, then we had another pretty quick one in you know, 08, and, and that one was a bad one. But we haven't had any real significant downturn since about 09. We started to climb out of that in 2010. Um, we had a couple little pullbacks, but nothing major, nothing that lasted any amount of time. And if you look at all the new people in the market since 2010, they have no idea what's coming. They don't understand this. And that's what I mean. I think they're going to do the opposite of what, they're, what they should be doing. They're going to do the opposite of everything you just said. They're going to skip maintenance because they're not going to have the money. They're going to run harder because that's just kind of like human nature. You know, oh my God, I'm not making enough money. I need to go run harder. 
But in this industry, you need to slow down. Yes, you're going to have to put in a lot of time and hours, but you shouldn't be driving fast. You should be investing money into fuel economy gains, um, maintenance, things that will keep your maintenance costs low. And I just have a feeling a lot of these guys will do the opposite until they're just out of business. I agree. I agree. So at some point, there's going to be uh, a lot of opportunity. There's going to be a lot of cheap trucks for sale, which is um, there's almost nothing you, you should be buying or can afford to buy these days. But uh, I think the next six months, I don't think it's going to take much longer than that. And I don't know what's going to happen after that because we're in such a weird economic time. Yeah, we've got a war going on in Europe. We've got China locking down millions of people again. And we're, the the supply chain shortages are not going to get any better anytime soon. And so it, it's really hard to predict anything more than six months. But I, I think the next six months, we're going to see some things we haven't seen in a long time. Unfortunately, I think you're correct. Yep. And I don't mean to be pessimistic. There is an upside to it. If you're doing all of the right things, then there's going to be an awful lot of opportunity. So that's really the key. All right. uh, Let's find out what's on Ethan's mind, and then we need to get to some calls. We've got phone calls piling up. Ethan, welcome back. As always, Kevin, good to be here. What's, uh, What's new and exciting in your world today? Oh, just just a normal. So nothing too too out of the outside the realm of a couple little wiring things. Got it. Okay. Well, then, uh, since you don't have a lot, even though I've been with you for the last couple of weeks, I do have a question for you on on the Acer. Just not all that familiar with these. And was there um, something about the tune? And I know we increased horsepower and some other things, but I am getting an awful lot of boost almost all the time could i be getting an incorrect reading i'm I'm sure i could but how common is that on an electronic gauge coming out of the ecm so the only way that would be possible and i've seen it before is if the boost sensor itself isn't reading correctly so it's not uncommon and yes i have seen it where the sensor will will say be stuck at like five or six pounds now it zeroes out. When it goes down, it does go down to zero. Um, but I have no problem whatsoever producing 40-plus pounds of boost. Yeah, and that's not uncommon on those. Okay. So they run pretty high to begin with, and then with the tune on top of it, it's going to go a little more. Yeah, the highest I've seen was coming up the hill out of uh, Pittsburgh. They're heading east. I got up to about 53, and I was right at about 50-some percent on the throttle. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I don't okay. think if you push it the rest of the way down, you'd get Good too point. much more on the boost, I think. Got it. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's good to know then. Uh, like I said, that's why I'd really like to get a mechanical gauge in here. I don't know for sure. Yeah, and just a quick note on that too. I, I don't see enough of them in trucks. Um, so even every time we do a remote tune, you know, we always almost always give the speech there. Me and Jr. always ask too. You know, does this truck have a boost gauge to start with? If not, you know, we give a little speech to the to the owner about how you really should have a boost gauge and a pyrometer in this truck, especially if you put a tune in it. Yes. Yeah. Then I would definitely say, keep an eye on that. So, uh, and you know what, we've talked about it many, many times in the truck. It's, it's fairly inexpensive and easy to do. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a you know couple hour process. Um, depending on where you're trying to route it, the newer trucks finding power for the dimmer is probably the hardest part because um, if you pick the wrong thing, you can piss the dash off. <laughs> um, but typically, yeah, and it'll get all mad at you, and then the lights right. don't want to work right, or yeah, yeah, but. You know, we've come up with good ways, and anybody who would buy one of our gauges, I have no issue with helping them out in that case. Hey, this is how where I grab the power from. Yeah, there you go. Good. All right. Uh, well, I guess we can uh, jump into some calls because we got a bunch of them, and uh, we're going to get to it. Let's get started in Illinois today. Derek, welcome to the program. Yeah, good afternoon, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Um your, your opening to the show really hit on a lot of points that I was uh, hoping to ask you today. So, and I spoke with you, Kevin, it was about a month, month and a half ago. Um, fairly new with this truck. I bought it back in October. It's a 2013 Coronado with the 60 series in it. Okay. And I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm ready to use some of my discretionary funds to make some improvements. Um, you know, I, the first thing I, I plan to order is the, uh, uh, OPS. I want to get an OPS installed on the truck. Good. Um, I'm also looking at, uh, manifolds or you know, say exhaust manifold and possibly a turbo as well. Um, kind of just wanted to check and see, you know, is that maybe a good place to start as well as with the tune? Um, I, you know. I, I hear all the time, you know, about how, how much how much free a truck should be running, and I just don't feel like this one is running all that free. Yeah, you know, we, we definitely we get... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bruce. Once you get the truck running free, like Kevin just got the experience with his coach, it's a whole new game out there, and the pleasure of driving a free-running truck is... Uh, it's phenomenal. But the manifold and turbo, and let's see what kind of mufflers on there. So the manifold, turbo, okay. and muffler, the fleet air filter, uh, all four great items along with the tune, because the tune goes with that on allowing it to run free. And then the OPS, and then the torsional damper and balancer, and you're done. Right, right. Uh, um, icing um, on a cake is putting the fast system on, so... And, but other than that, that's about all there is. And uh, yeah, it, hey, I'm, that was my thing. Was kind of honestly best bang for the buck starting out. But you know, you know, just kind of what in that order, or what well, sort of order manifold, would you look at doing? Turbo and tune. Yeah. Okay. And um, before you know, like, running down the road, I just I mean, I mean, I'm I run between Des Moines, Iowa, and Chicago for the most part. I I branch out every now and then, but I've got a couple of a decent little hauls that I could do. Um, so I don't have a whole lot of hills. Um, I, I tend to just get out there and set the cruise at 60, 62 miles an hour Excellent. and run out across 80. Um, you know, I, and, and yeah, my, my fuel economy has gone up. I mean, just to your, you know, to, to your credit, uh, as soon as the race started going down first part of March, uh, the, the speedometer started decreasing <laughs> yeah. as well. So. Hey, there's a good way to think about it. <laughs> 
When rates go down, your speedometer should go down with them. Um, That's a great way to think about it. Here's something else I don't want to forget, and I want to get back into the habit of doing this. I used to do it a lot, and we weren't focused as much on fuel mileage the last couple years, and I kind of got lazy about this. Before we spend a dollar to upgrade, you want to optimize and make sure everything is working the way it should. Uh, Test for boost leaks the entire system. Um, if you're not oil right. sampling, I would oil sample so we can see what's going on in the engine. If it's time for an overhead, set the overhead. Let's make sure the air compressor isn't running more than it should be so we don't want any kind of air leaks. Yeah. Uh, optimize wheel bearing adjustment um, with the Dr. Preload. Get alignment set correctly. All of those things we need to optimize before we add or upgrade or modify. So I would always do those yeah, first. I, yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, I understand. I told I, I've got uh, twenty five thousand on an in frame. Uh, honestly, two weeks after I bought this truck, uh, they, they'd had some work done prior, and I, I, I'm not understanding whether it was the counterboards were cut wrong or it had the wrong kit, but there was there was an issue there, and it ended up cracking the head, and so they they, they took it in and. Through the through those issues they had, they ended up we, they they did a, a an in frame on it and just put a whole new kit in. So I've got twenty five thousand on a kit. Um, yeah, again, I mean, like my, my boost runs maybe twenty twenty five pounds. And yeah, absolutely. If if I were to go through and make make those purchases and installs, I'd definitely be checking air to air cooler and yep. and probably just go ahead and replace the place the boots things like that. Um, so. Yeah, it, it's that time uh, again. It's time to get really focused on that stuff, and, and let's make sure we keep all of those maintenance items up. And then absolutely, this is the time to invest in, in fuel economy because we have no idea how long these prices might last. But based on the administration absolutely not wanting to pump our own oil anymore, I can't imagine they're going to come back down. Right. And right. if they do, okay. the, well, the, yeah. the only other thing to think about, the only thing I can see in the future that's going to bring fuel prices back down is a, a, a worldwide recession. And then there's just not enough demand for oil during that time. So that will bring prices down, but rates and work and everything else will be down too. So it, it's, it's time to right. focus on maintenance and fuel economy and, and, you know, watch your numbers and that kind of stuff. Right. Are you and running, into the, are, sorry, good, good. Are you running the max mileage fuel born catalyst? That was going to be a question for you. I, I, I didn't know if that was necessarily, if that's more of an emissions product. I, I, I haven't, I haven't read too much into the product. Um, Think about this. Think about this. There's two items that were at your engine. One is the dirt that comes past the air filter, and the other one's the soot and carbon that you get from burning fuel. So by eliminating 70% of the soot and carbon with the catalyst and running the fleet air filter, you're drastically decreasing both wear items. So that gives you the maximum engine life. So... The older yeah, engines, like your engine, were not designed for ultra-low sulfur diesel fuel, so they really benefit from the max mileage catalyst. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'll definitely add that to my uh, my repertoire here then. Um, so, 
Uh, listening to the Rolling Toe show, talking about alignment, I, and I had no idea. MD alignment, is, are they out of Des Moines? Um, I can't remember if they're in, they're near there, yeah. I don't remember exactly where. Near the yeah, Des Moines area. Yeah. I, had, yeah. I had no idea. I've always heard about them on the, on the show in the past, and I never, well, at that time I was a company driver. Um, and so, yeah, I, did, did he say that they don't do as much work there now? Or he's, he's retiring? Well, is that what I was understanding? Yeah, so what's happening is um, Mike has been in the office and doing seminars and training, and Kevin has been out actually doing alignments for the last couple of years. And Mike is retiring, okay. so Kevin's going to take over the training and the office and um, that kind of stuff. So he won't be doing alignments anymore. So then you'll go to at one of their other shops. And honestly, I would send you to Chad over in Kansas City. It's, that's just, uh, I can absolutely recommend them every time. You know, we it, it's there's a whole list of MD alignment shops that have the equipment and have gone through the training. But you can't always guarantee that they're going to be top-notch, and, and it's not a franchise kind of thing. Mike, once he sells them the equipment and the training, he doesn't have a whole lot of control over how they run their business. So we try to keep a list of the shops that we really know are top-notch, and in your area, that's where I'd be sending you. Okay. All right. Very good. I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind. So, well, I, I think, I think my first step is probably, I'd like to get the OPS on and, and sounds like I need to be getting into the max mileage callus as well. The, um, the other thing so I would recommend, I, I might put the order in for that. I would highly okay. recommend since you've got a new engine, you're going to put an OPS on it. I would switch to synthetic. Okay. Just get that out of the way right now. It, yeah, it, it's worth it. It's good for the engine. It's better for fuel economy. It's a superior oil, and you have the perfect setup. New engine, you're going to be putting on an OPS. Keep that engine tuned right. Keep running the catalyst, and your oil may just go 200, 250,000 miles. Right. That's a huge savings, plus okay. the increased fuel economy. Absolutely. Okay, well, I'll let you get some more calls. I appreciate you guys' time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Texas. Greg, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks. Thank you all for taking my call. Um, I had a question um, about the, uh, the catalyst. I ordered a couple of gallons, and kind of thinking about maybe getting a baseline on my fuel. I haven't been tracking my fuel mileage um, I just just started back using fuel uh, fuel gauges a couple of days ago. Uh, Kevin, would you suggest maybe creating a baseline first to kind of see how it changes my consumption? Or I, I'd like to. You know, I, I just think it's it's good information, and I know you know that you always there's always a little bit of a trade off because I'll say, look, if we're going to put something on and we want to see what the effects were, we need a good 30 day average prior and then a good 30 day average after. And, but then there's the other argument that, well, boy, fuel is so darn expensive. Why would we wait 30 days if we know there's a chance that what we're going to do could improve fuel economy? Now, keep in mind, we, we don't really 
promote the catalyst as a fuel mileage increase. We see it a lot that it no, increases exactly, be- but I also because want to it. Track my yeah, it cleans things up so much. We do see improvements uh, many times in fuel economy. We do see improvements in DEF. So there's that balance. Do you want to prove it? So you need 30 days prior, or do you just want to say, look, I've heard enough people say it it does increase and improve these things, so I'm just going to start doing it as soon as possible, so I save as much money as I can. Okay. And uh, Bruce, as far as, um, because I'm also going to put it on my daughter's uh, 2006 um, F350 Power Stroke, um, and I think I've heard you also say it's even, it's even good for lawn equipment. Yeah, I talked to a guy today. He's got it on. It's all his lawn tractors and his leaf blowers. And guy several months ago called and said his leaf blower used to take five pulls to start. Now it starts with one pull. Um, my troubled Harley, my 2011 Harley has sat all winter. I went to start it the other day. This thing used to crank and spit out through the exhaust and then crank and then, and uh, it made about two cranks and it fired right up. And, and so it even works like on, the, on that. even on the lawn equipment that, that takes the, yeah. you know, you got to mix the oil. Yeah. So how much, uh, how much? Uh, one gallon, you, one know, cc per gallon. You need one an eye dropper. Gotcha. Or, or you know, CBS gives you these little um, syringes. Syringes. Thanks, Pete. God, that's a trouble with ages. <laughs> <laughs> the little syringes. I think they must have them for putting cough syrup down in a child's throat, but. Uh, they are marked off in CC. One CC or one milliliter is the same. But you might be surprised. I had a guy who said, man, it even helped his log splitter. Now, I've never run a log splitter, so I can't answer that one. But uh, Okay. Well, all right. Well, I appreciate it. I'll let you get to your next caller. All right. Thanks for the okay. call. We're going to head off this time to... South Dakota. Chad, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. I've got three quick questions for you. Uh, The first is almost, for Ethan, almost identical to what Kevin brought up earlier, except this is a 2015 Cummins uh, CM2350. I've got the Hewitt Industries mechanical gauge in here. And at an idle, I'm showing six pounds of boost exactly. It'll run up to 47 and a half pounds of boost, but I'm get, but it never zeroes out. Okay, so your engine's a little different. Um, so at six okay. pounds of boost when it's at idle, it's actually using that to drive EGR. Okay. So that's why yours is doing that at idle. It, it wants to. So just to keep the emissions happy, it's doing that. So I don't need to look at a, at the boost pressure sensor or the gauge being in, inaccurate. That's normal. Yeah. So as long as the gauge zeroes out when the truck is off, you're good. So I don't know on your engine. That's just it's in an EGR mode when it's sitting there idling, um, and a lot of times you'll hear it too. The turbo will spool up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So it's doing what it's supposed to. Okay. Just want to verify that. The next one, if I if I'm switching from a Davco fuel filter 
over to um, an air dog or the fast fuel system, is it does it make any difference having ninety degree fittings versus straight or even forty fives? Forty fives are much better. A ninety degree fitting, unless you use the swoop fitting. I don't know what better term to use it, but it's it's not an abrupt ninety. It's a it's a long radius curve ninety. Try to use those. Try to stay away from 90-degree elbows. That's equivalent to 13 feet of straight. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. That's what I thought. That's why I asked. My last question is, I just re-upped my uh, OPS filter supply. It was a first-time ordering from you guys, but I've used the mailing system for uh, 2.5 million miles on my trucks. I noticed I've always used, or I noticed first that you switched to FedEx. My samples before have always gone to Salt Lake, which is closer than Indianapolis. This last batch came with all Indianapolis mailers, and I'm wondering if everybody's going to get those same mailers, and is this going to create a backlog and take more time to get our sample results back? No. So generally, we try to ship it to the address that we ship the package to. So we will, and I don't know why yours um, didn't go to the one closest to you. So generally, um, yep. when we're doing it, the shipping guys will see, oh, he's from Utah. We get the closest one to Utah. If he's in Florida, the closest one to Florida is generally what we try to do. I'm not sure why that didn't happen on um, yours, but, uh, yeah, we, we try to keep it the same way. Next order. I'll just specify that I'd like the Salt Lake Lab, the mailers to the yeah. Salt Lake Lab. Yeah, and they should be doing that. But, yeah, if you want to specify just to make sure they do, that would be fine. Okay, that's all I needed today. Thanks, guys. All right. Perfect. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Florida this time. Oh, try that again. There we go. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. What's on your mind today? Um, well, lots of things, but um, a friend of mine, he's got a cat motor. He's, he's got a glider, but he has a spare engine just sitting there, but he was thinking about getting a rebuild kit for it and getting it rebuilt. Uh, he was talking about getting an IPD Caterpillar rebuild kit. Is that a, a good option or yay or nay or any opinion? We try to stay with all genuine parts, so okay. we don't we don't really have an opinion on the other parts. Never used them. We've had good success with the OEM, you know, cat cylinder kits for a cat, Detroit kits for a Detroit, and so forth. So that's why we continue yeah. to, to keep using them. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I like that video of you passing that other car hauler, and he was mentioned it. Here comes oh, okay. a good friend of mine, and. You just kind of yeah. cruised right on by him. I, I tell you, that, that kind of gave me shivers. That was that was neat. I, I enjoyed watching that. I was on a mission because that was back in 2017, I think. I was on a mission. I had to get down there and get empty and then get reloaded and get back delivered and get home so I could go to, back to New Zealand. So I was, I was stepping a little bit. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, one other thing about the... Uh, Caterpillar Reboot, you always talk about liner protrusion. I think it, you suggest more than what Caterpillar suggests, right? 1,000. 1,000 more. Okay. Yeah, I want to hear what... On every engine. 
Cat Cummins, Detroit. Okay. That changes it. One thousandths more than their high spec. Okay, one thousandths more than the high end. Right. Um, and then talking about product shortages, the graphite that I use on the rails, you know, so the decks go up and down nice and smooth. Well, I, I went to the place down here in Florida where I normally buy it from. Uh, sorry, it's out of stock. We don't have any. It's like, God damn. So, I yeah. think that's going to get worse. All the signs uh, are not looking good for the supply chain clear chain clearing up anytime soon other than the fact that if the economy slows down the way they're predicting everything could change yeah anything so think about this guys the way communism and socialism takes over is by making these shortages and then promising the people that the government will take care of you and this looks like the first major step towards that hey hey bruce you probably shouldn't get me started on that this close to the end of the show a lot of us out here we don't need the government to help us no we don't we we, not help us we, we, yet, so. yeah Hey, hey, here's the probably the best thing we have to look forward to when it comes to the government. It looks like there is going to be a red wave in November, so we'll have a Republican Congress and a Democratic president, and they won't be able to get anything done, and we can all just get back to work. Well, you know, if Joe Biden, when he got elected, the best thing he could have done was sit in the Oval Office and put his feet up and do absolutely nothing, just left well, everything like it was, and it would have been a lot better than where we well, are now. So, it's, it's, yeah. Well, it, you know, it's not that far off. It seems to me like he did all of the damage on day one, and since then he's just been stumbling and bumbling around. He, what has he done since day one? It, it's like he did all the damage on day one. He reversed everything that was already happening, and then what has he done since? Nothing good. No. No, so oh, one 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 other one other question. Um, I'll be up to see you guys at the end of July. There's a Cummins campaign on my truck, which I talked to Eric about it yesterday. But after I got off the phone with him, because um, the the SCR the catalyst has not been replaced in my truck yet, but it's got a recall on it, and. By the time I get there, I'll have about half a million miles on my DPF filter. Would it be a good idea to replace the DPF filter as well at the same time? I would just clean it out at that time. Okay. Right. That'll do. We'll inspect it when we clean to make sure it's still in good shape. And if it okay. is, I think if we clean it, you'll be fine. Okay. That'll work. Right. I'll see you at the end of July. Okay. That's all I got today. All right. Sounds good. That's all we all need. Right. Hey, uh, Pete, I, I, I know mm-hmm. I went through the process and I went through that room over there, but there's a lot going on. How many steps are there in that cleaning process? So, I mean, there's really quite a few. So, of course, it's just a visual inspection that Steve will do. You know, it's your oil on it. Is it look damaged, cracked? 
um, something like, okay, we got to stop. It can't go any further. Uh, then they'll do a pin test to see how clogged up it is with just a, a, a thin wire checking each one to see how bad it is. Then they will check for um, restriction. We'll measure it. Then, then they wash it and they'll um, blow it out, blow it out, wash it, ultrasound it, bake it, and then check restriction again. Yeah, so quite, quite a few steps. There really is. And when, and, when and it's a lot more than a lot of places do. They call a, a bake and blow. They blow it out and bake it, and that's the end of it. Right. So there's a lot more steps with our cleaning. And, of course, you're going to get a, a much better job with, with all those steps that we do. And you've got somebody that that's basically all they do. And it was a really impressive process when I went through the room and he explained each step in even more detail than you just did. It is, it is really a thorough process. It is. And and, and, and like I said, he's going to good. Yeah. I was going to say, and, and there, this isn't just bake blow and send you on your way. You check restriction twice for a reason. You want to make sure that you actually got it clean. Right. And if it doesn't, drop enough, we'll clean it a second time, yeah. especially if there's no, no indication that, hey, there's a problem that we need to replace it. Um, there's been a few times where it's been bad enough that Steve had to do it a second time to bring it back down to the spec it needed to be, and, and it, it works. And once you clean it a second time, restriction comes down, clean bill of health, and put it back on, you're back in business. There you go. Good stuff. I tell you, you know, I... Me and I was away for the winter when I came back and Steve gave me the tour. I was impressed with his knowledge on it. Yeah, it's incredible. It's uh, it's a really thorough process and he does, he knows what's going on. And, you know, it, it, it's almost like, again, I tell people, a lot of these shops you go to, the mechanics are doing all kinds of stuff. They, they might do an air conditioning job a couple times a month. They might do a tire and alignment here and there, and then they're off working on an engine or an electrical problem. And I tell people there are some things you should just take this to somebody that does this every day. Air conditioning was a big one for me in Florida. So I had an automotive shop that did all of my air conditioning work because that's all they did all day. And they didn't mind doing it on a truck. It's the same system. Um, you know, alignments, get somebody that does alignments a lot. And here's another one. Um, you've got somebody that knows that whole process inside and out, understands what's supposed to be happening, measures everything from start to finish. When you come out of there, you know, you've got a good, clean, serviceable DPF. And then we also have our engineering department, Ethan and the guys. Yeah. Checking all the other things out and making sure everything's right. And then you run the, then you have the lifetime warranty on cleaning of the DPF at all DPF hey. centers. Hey Bruce, you know I, I don't know that I've ever DPF heard, alternative centers. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever heard you mention this in all the times. You know, we've talked about the engineering department, the investments you've made there, the people you've hired, why you hired them. You know, because they were engineers you weren't trying to take mechanics and turn them into electrical engineers but hanging out with those guys every one of those guys is a gearhead they're not just electrical engineers that they're 
all into uh, Ethan stayed and helped me work on the truck and uh, every one of them I talked to they're they're always out there working on their own vehicles and turning wrenches and they really know mechanical stuff you know several years ago as I was walking out of church and the minister stands there and shakes your hand and you talk and I said, hey, I'm looking for some electrical engineers that are gearheads. Well, you got behind me and said, good luck. Well, you found them. <laughs> well, I found, I found five so far. Yeah. It's, Ethan, uh, Ethan was the first. So Yeah, you know, I, I was. It's a hard find. I mean, it's. Well, and like I said, I didn't even realize that. I mean, I, I had no idea they were mm-hmm. as mechanical as they are, and I was impressed. Whenever I used to spend a lot of time at the Cummins plant in Columbus, Indiana, back in the late 80s through the mid-90s, maybe through the 90s, um, when I'd be introduced to another engineer and I went into his office or cubicle, I would look at his pictures. And if it was a picture of him playing tennis or playing golf, I knew that wasn't my guy. But if he had any type of uh, motorcycle, race cars, <laughs> race boats, I didn't care what it was hanging on the wall. I knew that we could uh, relate. There you go. And uh, he could understand what my mission was. Yeah. Yeah. And the mission always has been to make a man happy with his truck. There you go. We, w- we want to hear a guy say, man, I love the way my truck runs. I love the way it steers. And Adam does our MV alignments and, he he can spot a war-out bushing in your rear suspension faster than anybody I've ever seen. That's why we call him Hawkeye. There you go. And what that guy can see. There you go. All right, good stuff. Let's grab another call. We're going to head off to Minnesota this time. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Gavin. I just have a comment and a quick question. Uh, my comment is you were talking about the Rivion yesterday with yeah. the through bed. Yes. Chevy, Aval- <clears throat> Chevy had the Avalanche back in 2001. Oh, okay. Ran through 2013. wonder why that concept never caught on. It seems like a great idea. You know, when they started putting the uh, pass-through even on cars from the trunk into the back seat, I thought that was a great idea, too. Yeah. Um, I wonder why that didn't catch on with the trucks, but it seems like it's it's like almost going to be standard on the pickup trucks. Here's something else that's interesting. Um, you know, if you really look at car sales and what cars are popular and what sells really well, and unfortunately, the American automakers have lost almost every market they used to hold. Um, luxury sport cars, whatever. I mean, even SUVs, they've lost that market to, you know, all kinds of companies from other countries. Uh, they lost the low end market, the, the cheap cars to, you know, Korea. Um, the only market they really still control is the pickup truck market. And it's interesting that everybody's starting to push their electric pickup truck. You know, Tesla came out with their goofy cyber truck. I still think that thing's a joke, but I I don't know. They still talk about producing it at some point. Uh, Rivian came out out of the blue. They're not even a, you know, an automotive company and they came out with a pickup truck. I was talking about the Silverado yesterday and today, 
all over the news. They're talking about the F-150 Lightning. Um, Ford's already has 200,000 orders, and they can only make 40,000 a year right now, I think. And they already have 200,000 orders. So it it's, looks like we're going to see an awful lot of electric pickup trucks on the road before we see an awful lot of electric cars. Um, the other thing that I was shocked about, the F-150 Lightning has 3,000 computer chips. Wow. Ethan, what do you think about that? 3,000 computer chips. That, a lot of little electronics that can go wrong. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I think you've got job security. Yeah, yeah, just imagine one of those when it was, wasn't made very well on one day and you get a batch of them. <laughs> oh, Ooh. man. Well, one of their concerns is where they, you know, chips are hard to come by. All chips are hard to come by, and, and you can't just throw together a factory to build computer chips. It's highly specialized. So, you know, you start putting 3,000 chips in one vehicle. Holy cow. Yeah, and all it's going to take is one little resistor, and you might be sitting on the side of the road. You know, that three-cent part. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. All right. Uh, well, the thing about the Avalanche is it weighs more than a Suburban because of all the extra structure they have to put in because you don't have the back wall of the pickup. Oh, so that was probably the reason it didn't work on something with an internal combustion engine. But with the platform, the way they build electric cars and vehicles on the platform, that's why they have so much flexibility in what they do with the body. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that Uh, that makes sense. My other question was, I haven't heard anything recently about the convoy. Oh, interesting that, that or? interesting that you uh, brought that up today. I hadn't heard anything about it in a couple weeks, and it's not like I go looking for it, um, but I, I scroll headlines every day. I read constantly on the industry, and I haven't seen anything in weeks until this morning. And what I saw this morning, it looked like it's probably another hit piece from the media because uh, it was all pretty negative. They're, I think they're back out in California now, but the whole article was talking about the fact that the leader, um, Brian, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, Brassy or Brassy, or, um, I guess they ousted him. Um, there was a mutiny, so he's out now. Um, there was some other infighting. It looked like it was going on, or at least that's the way the media uh, was portraying it. But um, that's about all I've seen on it in the last several weeks. Uh, okay. Thank you very much. You guys have a nice day. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. Anybody have anything they want to uh, want to say before we close today? Doesn't sound like it. I don't. Again, I did see you on that um, convoy. Um, weren't kids throwing eggs at them from overpasses? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's like a day or two ago I read that. 
Uh, yeah, there's uh, kids do kid stuff anyhow. Yeah, yeah. Whether I, don't, I doubt it's a political statement, <laughs> it's like hey, we got, we're gonna have some fun here. Yeah, that's. I, I would think, but yeah, I heard they, they were, kids were throwing eggs at, at the uh, convoy. So yeah, that I could see. I and guess they should be spanking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, we're gonna get into political stuff now. That'll be fun. Um, yeah, I could see that too. Kids doing that, hey. that kids do that kind of stuff. I doubt that's political, but uh, we did it forty years ago, so it, why not? Yeah, no, yeah, right. So it's you know, it, it, it you just, know what you know what kept us straight in school in the fifties and sixties was that paddle hanging beside that blackboard, and the one that I, had the holes in it would swing faster. So I, I mean, it kept you. I was very familiar with the paddle. Me, me and the paddle became friends. Yeah, I don't know why I was such a troublemaker, but uh, I was familiar with that. What kind of trouble did you make? Well, the, the worst one that, that you know, it, was, it wasn't major stuff. It was just mischievous, I guess would be the word. The one that sticks out in my mind, though, that uh, even I didn't realize how bad it was going to be. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Um, homeroom, before you leave to go off to classes in the morning, um, dead quiet, not a sound in the room, and I lit off a firecracker. Do you know how loud that is in a room like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man did i did i get it that firecracker in a classroom i did i did i don't know what i was thinking but man you should have said and of course everybody else was totally shocked because nobody had any idea it was coming and i busted out laughing so it was pretty darn obvious who did it I can mention that this fellow has passed away, but he was a really good snowmobile ATV motorcycle mechanic. And he was in Arvada, Colorado at the high school. The first floor had doors at each end and he took a day off and he had a two stroke Husqvarna dirt bike. Remember him well. buddies hold the doors open and he had his buddies hold the doors open, and he lit up the hallway. He <laughs> <laughs> filled the school with the smell of two-stroke oil. Hey, if, and, uh, as long as he was using clots, I used to love the smell of that stuff. Clots two-stroke oil. Good stuff. I never thought about that one, though. I might have tried it if I would have thought about that. <laughs> All right, we are going to wrap there this. There kids in our high school. Oh, wait, our high school was two stories, and one morning we came to work. There was our to school. Yeah, it was work, all right. Yeah, but uh, it was work without pay. But there was a Volkswagen Beetle sitting up on the roof, <laughs> oh, and there were the guys hoisted it up with the ropes. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, that that and was then one kid in my class. He. He put down, we, we had our cars then, we were 16, 17, and on the front walkway, it was concrete, he put down, he only had one wheel spinning, and he put down 128 feet of black rubber, and I said, heck, that's nothing. I went out on the street with my 58 Chevy with the 348 with the two, three two barrels, and I put down 300 and some feet with two tires. There you go. But, uh, 
the principal found out who it was, texted Chris Well, and made him get on his hands and knees and scrub that oh. rubber off. But I got by with it because <laughs> mine was on the street. <laughs> well, that was that was just mischievous fun. Today they shoot and stab each other. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Bruce, Pete, Ethan, thanks as always. And we will do it again next week. Before I go, I do want to let you know that uh, we have got a big destination health planned for tomorrow. Uh, A lot going on. We are getting back to having some guests on. So uh, I'm going to be joined in the first hour. Um, and when it comes to guests, I think we're going to get back to doing more guests on Destination Health again, bringing back some of our favorites from the past and some new guests. Uh, tomorrow, I will be joined by Stanford Graham. He's been with us before. Stanford's a really interesting guy. I met him a couple of years ago at uh, the Mindshare uh, conference. Um, he broke the world's record for the 50-plus men's mile run um pretty incredible stuff he's uh he was a partner in a law firm he is also the um uh the where i found cardio miracle um so we'll be talking about cardio miracle and some other things uh that will be in the first hour tomorrow uh, we'll also get to some questions, I'm sure, as well. And then I'm really excited to announce the debut of a brand new show, part of our Destination Health series. And the new show is After Hours with Kevin and Lauren. And uh, I'm going to be joined by our resident FNTP, Lauren Hickson, and we will be reviewing um, some of our more interesting discovery calls and one-on-ones. And um, we'll probably be adding some other features to the show, but that's really going to be the core of it. There's, there's so much to learn from seeing what happens in a discovery call, from all of the work we do ahead of time on the NutriQ and researching and looking at their diet, looking at any blood work if they have it, uh, looking at any supplements or drugs they're taking, and then making a recommendation for a 30-day plan. And, and we'll go through um, those and then get even deeper into a lot of this stuff when we do the one-on-ones. So big day for Destination Health tomorrow. We will see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.